I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. You're not the same person when you've gone through a huge loss. You're a different person and you have to give birth to that person. And I I love what Richard taught me. And that was that the circumstances of life don't make or break you. They reveal you. And I really understood that, that the circumstances of my new life were going to reveal who I really was. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 423 with guest Christine Carlson. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello, friends. I hope this new year is treating you well and you are exactly where you need to be because that's all, that's the only place we can ever be. I want to kick it off and tell you something exciting. I have not hosted a retreat in, it's been almost three years. And obviously, you know, COVID has sort of thrown a wrench in things over the last couple of years. And I'm feeling the urge to host one. Before I book a venue and plan it all out and open up registration, I want to gauge to see how much interest there is out there. So if you are interested and want to read a little bit more about how much it costs, where it will be, logistics, etc., you can go over to andreaowen.com slash retreat. There are several bullet points there that will give you as much information as I can give you right now. And then you can sign up to be notified when I do open registration. Signing up does not obligate you to actually pay and register. However, I would appreciate if you only signed up if you are really considering coming. The price range is on there. I know that's usually the biggest question is where it's going to be. It's most likely going to be in Asheville, North Carolina. And also the cost of it is on there as well. And it is an estimate depending on the large home that I book. That's how I like to do them. I get a Big house. The last time I did it, it was a a kind of series of, or not a series, but a a cluster of little cabins out in the mountains in Asheville. And it was amazing and beautiful. And that's likely what I will do again this time. I'm also interested in possibly having one of the retreats be focused on women in recovery. Does not necessarily mean that you have to be recovering um, from alcohol misuse, but you know, we're all recovering from something. There's just a little box to check on that over at andreaowen.com slash retreat. I, I didn't mention it, but this retreat would revolve around the curriculum of the daring way. It is one of my favorite things to teach. I have been teaching it since 2014. It's incredible. It's an incredible methodology, and it is based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. It was spawned from the research and her book, Daring Greatly, if any of you have read it. And if any of you are reading Atlas of the Heart, my gosh, this book is – I don't know how to describe it. Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's latest book. It is, in my opinion, sort of an overview of all of her books. 
if you haven't read any of them or you've kind of dabbled here and there, it's it's an easy one to you're not you don't have to have any prerequisites is what I'm trying to say. I feel like Dare to Lead and Braving the Wilderness and even Rising Strong, you, you kind of had to well, you didn't have to, but it helped if you read her previous books. This one is fantastic. I I bought it for someone in my life who is really interested in, in this work and I I, I can't say enough good things about it. I, I love all of her books. And every time she has a new one that comes out, I'm like, this is my favorite. No, this is my favorite. So I'm saying it again. This is my favorite. <laughs> it's also really beautiful. But the reason I bring that up is because if Atlas of the Heart is the only book that you read of Brene Brown's and you're interested in what she has to say in there based on her now decades of, of research studying shame and connection and courage – then you will love this retreat. It's it's really what it is. It's a skill set. It's a skill set to take into your life to be able to understand yourself better, understand your triggers, understand kind of where you quote unquote get in trouble and fall on the coping mechanisms that you don't like, probably the ones you read about and how to stop feeling like shit. That book actually, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, was born from this methodology of the daring way. So anyway, I could go on and on. It's not what this podcast episode is about. <laughs> I just really love teaching the curriculum. It's always such an amazing gathering of women that come together. And I have done it online. It's great. And it I find it even more impactful to do it in person. I don't know. There's just something about getting together that just creates magic, in my opinion. AndreaOwen.com slash retreat to read more about it. If you sign up for that, you will also be the first to know when I open up registration. Did I already say that? Sorry, I'm repeating myself. The reason that's important is because the last time I opened registration in 2018 to just that cohort of people, that group of people that had signed up for early notification, it sold out in less than an hour. And I ended up doing another retreat that same year because of that. So if you're interested, definitely hop over there and sign up. And I cannot wait to host those of you that decide to come. In other news, I kind of completely skipped over the new year, didn't I? And and you know, those of you that have been around for a hot minute know that I'm not, I'm not big on New Year's on New Year's. I know it's, it sounds a little counterintuitive as someone who talks about living your best life. <laughs> I just I feel like there's so many other people that are great at that. I do it a little bit and I think that for many of us, not all, for many of us, the last couple of years during this pandemic has been about just keeping your head above water. And I know a lot of you are still in sort of this growth season and kind of pulling back to be able to spring forward when you're ready. So if the new year feels like the perfect opportunity for the for a new you and to make lots of fantastic goals, then by all means, woman, I am cheering you on over here. And this isn't an apology, just just pointing it out. <laughs> no, you didn't miss anything. I just don't really do anything big for New Year's because I do feel like we do it all year long. Coming up on the podcast, I know I've been teasing you about this new way that I am going about things over here on the show. I am going to break things up into themes. And the first theme is going to be all about healing. And in each theme, I'm going to have this question, a sort of existential question that that I'm asking each of my guests. And I'm also asking you, the listener. And the first one that we're going to jump into is how do we heal ourselves? And that's, that's the question among many others that I'm going to be asking our guests. And all of these guests, uh, most of them are therapists. I have a couple of, of uh, psychologists coming on. We're, we're talking a lot about trauma and how to heal these wounds that all of us carry into adulthood, into our relationships, into, into our jobs, into parenting, et cetera. And I, I can't wait. I, it's coming. Please, please hold. <laughs> I tend to rush into things without a whole lot of, a lot of planning. It's, it, it helps sometimes, but a lot of times it gets me in trouble and it's messy. Therefore, I wanted to make sure we have everything well planned out so it runs smoothly for everyone involved. So my team and I have gathered all the guests for this first theme. And 
If you have someone that you want to recommend for the show who would be a great interviewee on the topic of recovery, that is a theme that I've added for later on this year. I'm especially looking for women of color, someone in the LGBTQ community, um, maybe someone who is disabled. To be able to talk to us, it does not necessarily have to be about alcoholism. It could be about any kind of recovery that that someone has been in and who can speak on the topic to y'all. So if you know someone who fits that bill, you can send us an email, support at andreaowen.com, or shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm at heyandrea. All right. This episode, my interview with Christine Carlson has been in the bucket for a while. My apologies. And I don't think anything we're talking about here is dated. We did record it in I believe June of 2020, which was a tense time of 2020. And, but we are just talking about her work. I am honored to have her on the show. As you will hear me say to her, her late husband, Richard Carlson, his book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, was one of, it might have actually been the first self help book that I ever picked up. And this was way back, I think mid 90s. And I was, I was hooked. I was hooked. And uh, nobody else in my life at the time, Got it. And I thought it was a little weird, but here I am (laughs) all these years later (laughs) and have built my life around the topic. I am sure you will enjoy it. And let me read a little bit about her for those of you who don't know her. Christine Carlson is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and leader in the field of transformation. After collaborating with her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, to create a publishing industry phenomenon with the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series, selling more than 25 million copies worldwide, today, Chris is emerging as a profound teacher in the areas that matter most to the human heart how to heal, and how to love. Chris has captivated readers around the world with her previous six books, which include Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Moms, An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, The True Story of the Best Gift Ever, and Heartbroken Open, a memoir through loss to self-discovery. In her forthcoming book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy, she offers a process for healing that goes beyond common prescriptions for getting through the pain of heartbreak of all kinds. She takes readers by the hand, giving them a life-altering map for navigating the journey from loss to joy, one that can awaken them to a deep love affair with life. Christine authors a blog at her website, christinecarlson.com. And without further ado, here is Christine. Christine, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Andrea. So good to be here. I am, I'm sure that I'm not the first person that that is telling you this, but one of the very first, no, I think it is the first self-help book I ever bought in my, it was in my, my early 20s was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Aww. My very first book. Yeah, it was my introduction to this work. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, yeah, I'm, and I, I um, was it the late nineties? When was that? Yeah, nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven. Okay, so I was twenty two. Yeah, wow. I was I was twenty two. I picked it up at a bookstore and loved it. And I remember my boyfriend at the time was like, "I don't get it." And and I just remember <laughs> thinking like, "This is so important," you know. Just so it was my first real introduction. And which brings me to my question: Is how did you get into this work? You know, were you kind of brought in with your late husband, or how did that all work? How did you get here? Yeah, well, that's a great place to start. So my late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, um, was a PhD in psychology, and Don't Sweat the Small Stuff was his tenth book, and he chose a very different form of psychology. It was, you know, and keep in mind, just like you pointed out, this is. 30 years ago was really when he started his writing career. And, you know, he was talking about um, really bringing more Buddhist concepts into psychology prior to positive psychology, prior to mindfulness, you know, these Mm -hmm. hot topics. Um, But he had written 10 books on happiness and well-being and, and how to access that and don't sweat the small stuff. Um, was just a new way for him to write. He decided that the world was changing and that the short chapters would be much more palpable for people. Mm-hmm. And certainly he was right. 
Don't Sweat the Small Stuff really came out of his larger body of work, which started with a book called You Can Be Happy No Matter What. And then he wrote Shortcut Through Therapy. He wrote You Can Feel Good Again and many other books. And then Don't Sweat the Small Stuff came along. And that was the first book in a series of nine. And then he invited me in to the series um, to write Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love with Him which quite honestly, it seemed really doable and simple and fun. And I mean, we Mm -hmm. joked how every relationship should write a book on relationship because (laughs) we learned so much about each other. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great one too. I have that one on my bookshelf. I, I, some, I must have lent out my, my don't sweat the small stuff many years ago and never got it back, but I do have don't sweat the small stuff in love. Oh, oh, great. But you know, I, I hear that a lot and it's wonderful. And I, I often think, you know, I know, you know, by the time Richard um, died suddenly in 2006, he did had already known that he'd made a huge impact on the world. But what I've learned since then is the impact that he's made on other leaders like yourself, you know, that he really was their entree. I mean, I've heard this from, mm-hmm. you know, Mel- Michelle Gillan and, you know, like Tony Horton and all sorts of different leaders have said that. Oh, what a what a beautiful tribute, I think, to to him and look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Also, when I went to write my first book, I remember feeling overwhelmed about word count in chapters Mm. and I was getting coaching (laughs) on it. And my coach said, well, if you could write anything, like what would the structure look like? And I said, well, I would want it to be like, don't sweat the small stuff, like short, (laughs) digestible, bite-sized chapters. And she said, well, why can't you write it? And then 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life was born. So so thank you oh, <laughs> for yeah, that and thank him awesome, for that. Awesome. And and you know, kind of turning to to your work that you do in the world, and I teach resilience, and I would love to get your take on it because from what I know about your work, you say that re- re- resilience is all about relinquishing control and surrendering to change. And I have a lot of listeners, you know, myself included, who are uh, achievers and Type A personalities. So can you talk to us maybe some small steps to becoming more resilient? Yeah, well, um, I'm kind of the classic teacher that I, you know, went through, um, you know, horribly heartbreaking grief um, at the sudden loss of Richard, you know, my life partner, my soulmate in every respect um, for 25 years. And and he got on a um, plane just to promote his latest book and had a pulmonary embolism on the descent of that flight. So it was very sudden and we were completely um, unprepared as a family, unprepared um, in midlife. I was 43 years old to lose him. So where I get my resilience from and where I understand how truly resilient I am is not from any small thing. (laughs) It's, Mm -hmm. It's from a great big thing. And there isn't anything more to test your resilience than the loss of somebody you love. You know, that is the greatest thing that we go through in life. And 
there all the all these other things that we go through are very difficult. There are many different losses that we can go through, but certainly the loss of a loved one is is among the very absolutely most difficult. So as I went through grief, you know, I really didn't want to read um, too many grief books. First of all, at that time, almost 14 years ago now, I felt like a very isolated young widow. I, I mm-hmm. didn't know anyone that had lost their husband. And so I just, but I did understand a lot about psychology and healing and my own mental health and well-being. And I was had some great friends in the healing arts um, capacity. And I, I really just, Develop my own process for going through grief and I, or watched my own process, I should say. I wasn't trying to design one. I just watched what I did. And, and when I went back to track, you know, how did I get through this and come through it so well? And I, I realized that I had followed a path and the path was a mantra that I had learned a long time ago, surrender, trust and accept. And it, it's sort of the shortened version, version of the serenity prayer. Um, mm-hmm. That if you, you know, surrender what is present, you know, to the circumstance that you cannot change, you trust in the divine will and plan for your life, um, eventually you will accept what's happened. But I had to add a couple of things to that because, of course, grieving is a lot more than just telling yourself to surrender, trust, and accept. Grieving is really about allowing yourself um, to feel your feelings and heal. And really go through um, the grieving process, which is, you know, grief, I've always said is not the enemy. Grief shows up to help you as a, as a helping friend um, through an emotional turmoil period an emotional loss. And so the surrender, the star mantra is what I call it in my body of work um, is surrender, trust, accept, release and receive. Mm-hmm. And the release part, of course, is about being able to allow yourself to grieve and grieve fully. And then ultimately, you know, through that process of healing, you you end up with a new life. And it certainly was obvious to me when I was going through waves of grief that it, it felt very much like natural childbirth. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it was very yeah. painful and, and, of course, doubled me over many times. And I felt like, wow, I am really birthing a new life. Yeah. And not linear and Oh no, gosh. Probably is slower than you want it to be sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like like watching that hourglass of sand and you can see every grain of sand go through mm-hmm. from side to mm-hmm. side. When you want it to go faster. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, I, I, I love the acronym and I'm I'm curious for you to say more about the receiving part. Well, receiving comes after acceptance, you know, I knew that I was really in acceptance when I had moved from grief to gratitude, you know, early on in my grieving process, people would say to me things like, oh, you're so lucky you have had the love that you've had, you know, and of course I am. But at the time I was like thinking, are you kidding me? It's not me? helpful when you're in it. <laughs> no, yeah. are you I kidding me? I do not feel, grief. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't feel lucky that I'm going through this. I don't feel lucky. No, I don't feel lucky that I had that. This hurts like anything, you know? And, and then um, once I was able to really feel grateful again, I really started to understand that I had accepted my loss and receive is just in that place of birthing a new life. I mean, at first, you know, it's like anything. It's you're not the same person when you've gone through a huge loss, you're a different person and you have to give birth to that person. And I, mm-hmm. I love what Richard taught me. And that was that the circumstances of life don't make or break you, they reveal you. And I really understood that, that the circumstances of my new life were going to reveal who I really was. And because, you know, um, this kind of loss or any kind of loss can, any kind of loss that annihilates your ego um, and shatters your life. That's why in my latest book, From Heartbreak to Wholeness, The Hero's Journey to Joy, I talk about the hero's journey because um, it, it's an initiation, you know, this event that shatters your life and puts you on a totally new trajectory of life um, is really an initiation by crisis. And anything that annihilates your life leaves you in that place of complete um you know, birthing. And what's beautiful about mm-hmm. that is if you're um, conscious and you're aware, 
you realize that um, you get to really be who you are because your ego is at an all-time low. And then your authenticity just naturally rises. And, and that's one of the most beautiful things about being in grief and about going through a really heart-shattering loss is that it does um, break you open. And in that opening, um, a lot of times what can emerge is something extremely powerful and extremely beautiful and extremely authentic. I mean, when you have been stripped down to nothing <laughs> and it's almost as if the universe is asking you to reflect on on your own strength and your own resilience and your own like kind of what are you made of you know from, in a very kind voice i would i would hope when i heard that acronym and you said receive i assumed you were talking about and i love i love your definition and your take on it i assumed you were talking about because of course i'm looking through it through my lens the re- receiving the care and love from other people cuz um, I spent a long time really pushing away vulnerability, which also meant I, I figured out later in, in retrospect that I was also not really allowing people to love me and mm. to truly show up for me as they as they wanted to do. I was I was pushing them away. So um, that's how I was looking at receiving, which which might be part of of what you talk about as well. Yeah, I mean, in my work, of course, I do address the fact that you have to go from being like this person who doesn't know how to ask to being able to receive and ask for help. I mean, certainly I, you don't, what you want to encourage people not to do is be isolated in their grief, you know, and that um, I was really lucky because all my, just I call them my earthly angels just showed up and I just was surrounded. I mean, I had just so many people that were just, you know, holding me and holding space for me and, and, even a tribe of people that were communicating behind the scenes for me that I didn't even know about for a long time. I was sitting at a, I remember I was sitting at a lunch with my, you know, kind of my five top grieving people and and they all kind of like were looking at each other in communication with each other. And I finally clued into the fact that something was going on that I wasn't privy to. Uh They were communicating through looks about you. And then it came out like they said, Oh yeah, we didn't want to tell you because we didn't want you to feel weird, but we've had a email phone chain going on and we just check in with each other and make sure somebody's checking in with you every day. And so I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> I thought it was just a coincidence. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where in my experience, grief feels lonely. It's like that feeling of no one understands what I'm going through. And then also for some people, they think I don't want to bother anyone. It's just, you never know how you're going to walk through it. And um, I, I, you know, I'm saying this for people who are who have friends in their lives and loved ones who are going through grief. Like so many times, you know, they're like, "I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say." It's just just show up as best you can and and offer your help. For sure, it's really not so much about what you say as much as what you do. And there's really no words that comfort somebody in in terrible mm-hmm. grief. But certainly, offering love, support you know, meals, if there's a family, you know, there's, there's some real practical things that are really, really helpful for a family going through grief and, and, uh, and a mom, especially because, you know, she's having a hard time taking care of herself and taking care of her children at the same time. In your experience and the work that you've done, you know, you've been doing this for a long time in times of stress or hardship, how can people make empowered choices the best that they can? So here's what I prescribe. I believe that if you can always come at life from a responsive place and not a reactive place, the only way that I think that if you continue to feel that rage um, that is constructive is that if it does move you into some kind of action, um, rage in and of itself is what kills. And so I think what we want to do is turn our rage into a power that is a peaceful kind of power, which peace is always a choice. And of course, Mahatma Gandhi is our best example of a peaceful warrior in this world who brought a whole nation through um, turmoil, through peaceful ways and means. And I, I think that each of us can make a choice to be the hero on the journey, to be the hero of our own lives and to be the hero for others. And if we um, 
become enraged and come, become part of the fire that isn't constructive, then we're not contributing necessarily to the solutions. You know, I think that so many of us are have, have to hold the light in this world. And, and that doesn't mean that you're going to feel great and that you're going to be positive in, in a, in a positive, in the normal positive sense through this. It means that you have to hold that torch of peace inside. And, and that doesn't mean that you're complacent. It means that you come from that place and you take action. And that is truly a place of love. That is truly a place where you're honoring your values and, and again, each of us has to decide what that means. It takes a lot of different energies and a lot of different people to move something along on the trajectory that needs to change. And certainly we are, are in a time of tremendous transformation and change, whatever that's going to mean. Mm-hmm. You know, as someone who is, who is not, I am no stranger to anger and rage. In my experience, they are like sisters. Yeah. And rage makes me, in my experience, it makes me totally blind. I can't learn from that place. I can't communicate from that place. I can't, um, I'm just not making fantastic choices. I'm making very emotional and impulsive choices at that point. However, I think that um, you can make good choices from a place of anger. I do. I don't know if you disagree with me, but but I do. No, no, I I don't have any problem with anger. I mean, I think all the emotions are present for reasons. I mean, I know I don't have any problem with anger. I have a problem with reactivity. But when you respond from whatever emotion you're feeling, if it's if it's a loving response, I mean, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, I get angry at my grandkids, but I don't yell at my grandkids. I don't hit them. And I don't, I don't do anything destructive, but when I'm angry, you know, it definitely, it propels my voice forward. So, I mean, I I think that there's definitely, there's always a place for anger. And yet if anger and rage is unexpressed, all it does is hurt you, you know, and and if it's not expressed healthily, it hurts another. So it's a, it's a dance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm thinking of, of, um, marginalized people and, and, yes. um, their anger is righteous and, and needs to be heard. And, and you know, that's how many things get organized and, um, revolutions happen. I'm Margaret and I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about change. I mean, I guess it's not switching gears all that much. Is it? <laughs> and, and like from a personal level, why do you think people resist 
change and, and what are some ways that, that people can embrace it? Because you know, this is an audience full of people who are trying to better themselves and in, in many ways change some of their, their habits and priorities and belief systems. Well, that's a great question. And I, I mean, I think that most of the time people who are avoiding change avoid it because of the illusion of control. And that that gives them the idea that they're in control if they can create a strong enough structure and routine and, you know, be in the status quo. The other reason I think that um, people resist change is just that they are unaware that their ego is being in charge. You know, like if our ego is in charge of us, in charge of our psychology, it usually means our true self is somewhat um, suppressed. And our true self, actually, everyone um, really invites change. Our true self says change is good. Change is, means that life is moving forward. You're out of your comfort zone. Things are happening. You know, when, when we resist change, I think it's just that um, we are in fear. And fear is always the reason why people don't invite change. It's like fear of what they're going to lose fear of what's going to be missing if they move in a new direction, um, fear of being out of the status quo. It's, it's, you know, the ego wants to keep you safe and in the status quo. Um, fear of change is really big. I mean, I, I, before my life completely got tipped upside down, I would, I never sought out change. <laughs> oh, really? I, no, I, I was like, I, I just was happy as a clam keeping everything mm-hmm. the same, but in a way, I didn't also realize I was dying a death. And in a way, it's like that um, Norman Cousins quote, the tragedy of life is not death. The tragedy of life is what we let die inside us while we live. And, you know, I think that when you think of it in terms of that, that change actually ignites us. It's like a spark that gives our life energy. It moves us in a totally new trajectory, a new position. I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, oh my God, it's so great when I have this unknown space because it means unknown means like I'm like walking up to the edge and just diving off of it and going free fall. Awesome. What's going to catch me, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and, but it took me all this time of, you know, of having my life shattered and moving through, through this change that happened to realize that change is actually one of the most um, creative forces in our life. And when we allow for change, um, it just allows, it allows us for expansion and growth. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I think people hear about it and they are like, that sounds good, but it's still so scary. I like to remind people, (laughs) well, I like to remind people like you have changed, you know, it might just be in smaller increments and smaller ways, you know, cause you're, you know, I'm thinking of people listening to this, like you're likely not the same person you were five, 10 years ago. And, you know, even if you, if they listen to this podcast, I'm sure I'm not the only personal development podcast they listen to, or they read other books and, and you have subtly changed. So give yourself some credit, everybody. But I think, I think some people think like, oh, I need to have this life changing experience. You know, I, I personally, I had a dramatic and sudden divorce and then got conned and it was, it was like a, like a on the floor moment, you know, your husband suddenly passed away. And so I think we are give, I call those life invitations, you know, like the universe is handing you an invitation, like, you know, what are you going to do with this? And those can be like life shattering, but I think there's really something to be said too. Like, what do you think? Like those small moments where we hear something on a podcast or we read something in a self-help book and it really hits us hard. We're given a choice in those moments. Absolutely. And I, I love the idea that we can do small changes that make a big difference, you know, like just 5%, Mm -hmm. like 5% better. 5% 5% yeah. different. It's not a book. I think someone wrote a book. <laughs> that title. <laughs> Probably. Probably in the self-help aisle. Just small changes make a really, you know, can make a very, very huge difference and pay really big dividends in your life, you know, and I, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a life altering experience. You know, I mean, just if you look at neuroplasticity and brain science, it tells us that change is positive because um, we, we need to fire our brains up in order to keep our brains sharp. And 
and that change does that. You know, if you if you feel like your brain is getting dull because you're in a routine, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. The brain science actually really shows us that we need to change our lives up in order to get our neurons firing, in order to get them rewiring and firing in more positive ways. That um, the change is really powerful in that way. Yeah. Yes. Do those crossword puzzles and word searches, everybody. (laughs) But even just small changes like changing the route, you know, like we always go driving in certain routes, you know, and even just changing your driving route or changing the music you listen to or, you know, changing up your exercise routine. Just, you know, take, if you want to do something you've never done, you know, take a language you've never learned or practice, you know, a musical instrument. I always threaten that I'm going to start playing the, the guitar. <laughs> the drums. How about that? The, the drums. drums I have great. a friend who's, I have a friend who switches the way she sleeps in her bed every couple of weeks. That's um, great. You know, like, yeah, just to switch it up, I guess. So it's, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't know about that, that brain research, but it completely makes sense. So like, even those small things can, can change how the neurons fire in your brain. And oh, yeah. I love that. I'm I'm actually curious. uh, Yeah, I'm curious. Like, you've written a lot of books, and and this might be a question like, "Don't ask me to pick a favorite child." But out of all of your books, which is your favorite, and why? Oh, do you have a favorite? (laughs) (laughs) The way I look at that is, you know, it's interesting because I I almost never read my books after I write them. I mean, I I really don't. I I rarely ever. I mean, you probably find that too. I rarely ever, by the time you burn the book, you're just mm-hmm. so like done. Well, mean, you've been in bed with it for years. <laughs> yeah, at that you're like, I yeah. so don't want to mm-hmm. read this. Um, but I, I'd have to say. Or maybe it's which one was the, your favorite to write and why? Well, probably my latest book was my favorite to write because it was the culmination of 10 years of, of living and learning. And it was a lot of my work together in that book. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, and I knew that it was for me, it was kind of a, a jumping point to the next thing I had to offer, you know, which I'm working on another book now. And it's really all about how to access joy. And, mm-hmm. and you can, you know, you can kind of see the trajectory, like from heartbreak to wholeness, the hero's journey to joy. Now it's going to be a book on joy. And I'll probably write living the big stuff next, which will be all about, you know, coming out, living your kick-ass life and being the biggest, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, (laughs) being the biggest form of yourself. And, you know, so my, my books are definitely along the trajectory of where I'm traveling and, um, you know, don't sweat the small stuff in love. Don't sweat the small stuff for women. Those happened at, at a time in my life when Richard was alive. Don't sweat the small stuff for moms came later. I love that book because I, I wrote that book from a place of my kids are grown. I'm now a grandmother and I really, I really know everything that you go through. And I, and I know, I understand that there's no such thing as a perfect mom. And so that was a really favorite one, but heartbroken open and from heartbreak to wholeness are, you know, they're just very, they're very raw for me and they're very um, healing for others. And I, I know that. So it, it, it gives me yeah. a lot of joy to bring those out to the world because of course, don't sweat the small stuff is great, but somebody doesn't, they're having, they may be really stressed out. That's why they pick those books up. But somebody who picks up from heartbreak to wholeness is in pain and they want to know their way out. And I'm, I'm just so honored to be their guide. I, I appreciate you saying that because it, it sounds like, um, you know, I don't talk to a whole lot of authors who've written multiple books and I'm only on my third. So I feel like a baby as compared to how many you have written, but I've noticed for me that, not just um, the books that I've written, but also this podcast. And and you know, I've been blogging since 2007. And it definitely, you can see the trajectory of my own work. Yeah. And I'm always very transparent with people about where I am in my life in terms of my own personal development work and, you know, big issues, small issues. And part of that is like, I never want anyone to put me on a pedestal. Like I never oh, want anyone to think that I am the expert. <laughs> I think you should listen to me and I have all of the answers. And I'm never going to tell you about any of my own heartbreak or challenges or shame and all of that stuff. So I, I typically lay it all out there. There are some elements that I keep private, you know, to protect the privacy of my children and things like that. But for the most part, like people know everything about me. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown's work and 
I can kind of see her own, you know, because I was reading her books in 2009 when, you know, her first one is very cloaked in academia and, and just have watched her career and, and her own work as well. And so I think, you know, for all the writers out there, maybe the, you know, the aspiring personal development writers, like just don't ever be afraid <laughs> to, to come out with something and you are where you are in your life. And I think it's, it's also a, a metaphor for maybe more of an analogy of just people's lives in general. Like it's not linear a, and we all go through a journey and we're never done. We just might be on different paths or different parts of the path. Absolutely. And I, I love what you said about not um, putting yourself on a pedestal. I'm, I'm in the same way. I mean, I, I've always said that if you put yourself on a pedestal, it's a long way to fall. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> Much better to just be in the trenches. You know, you're already down on the ground. <laughs> yeah, we're all human. Exactly. Mm, for sure. Yep. Well, I want to ask you one more thing, and it sort of circles back to to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, because that book encourages readers to live with kindness and intention and attention to the present moment, which I know can be kind of confusing, I think. like I'm like, what does that even mean? Do we have to notice every butterfly and things like that? So what are can you speak to that? And maybe what are some action steps someone can take now to live with intention? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in my work and in my podcast, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff, I teach the golden pause and a really beautiful, very short meditation um, to just pause and touch your heart, ask yourself what you're grateful for, tune into your gratitude. Because even in the midst of, of terrible situations that you might find yourself in or circumstances, if you can pause and tune into your breath and into your gratitude, that brings you, first of all, immediately into the present moment immediately into your heart. Um, and gratitude is, is where joy resides. So if we can mm-hmm. absolutely access those feelings in, in any situation, um, it's going to bump us up quite a bit and, and we'll get a lot, we'll gain a lot of perspective in life. And, and I really feel like having great perspective in life is, is having great mental health. You know, when you can keep life in perspective, and be able to focus on what you're grateful for, um, that can kind of change the game a great deal. And and again, in any situation. Yeah. And I just think becoming super responsive to life is is also really, really valuable and important. It's also about mindfulness. You know, when you can live intentionally, um, that's a huge proponent of being mindful. And mindfulness mm-hmm. in and of itself, the definition is to see clearly. So that brings us back to having your attention in the present moment. And that can be just a simple question to yourself. What am I feeling right now? How am I feeling? You know, our heart, yeah. our feelings, they're all in the present moment. And if, if you're looking mm-hmm. at what am I feeling right now? You know, and then you ask yourself by bringing your attention as the intention of what do I want to grow? What would I like to grow in my life? You know, these are the ways that breathing, being in your body, pausing before you react, bringing your attention to the here and now. See, this isn't a, it's not a choice that you make once. I mean, you have to make it every moment. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. why we, we don't, we don't live. That's why it's, it's, it's hard to attain enlightenment because our mm-hmm. minds are very busy and our minds don't typically gravitate to the present moment. Our minds are busy elsewhere. So it, it's Thinking a constant about the future practice. or the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's a five percent practice, like we went back to. If you're five percent more present every hour, that's huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's huge. I love calling mindfulness um, paying attention. Yeah, because that resonates with me better. And maybe it's just because I, I feel like mindfulness sounds so much more, well, a little esoteric and, and just very much like a person who really loves yoga and is good at that. Like I, I like to just focus, try, and I could use, you know, five more percent of paying attention, but it's, I, I also think like our bodies are typically trying to talk to us. Like they're the wisest part of ourselves. And if we pay attention to that, then we can learn a lot more about, what we need to do in the next moment to take care of ourselves. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's a great practice too of presence. I don't do that. 
as often as I should. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a genius at that, but I know. But it's it's something I try to remind myself a lot, and, and the people around me remind me too. And so, thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom today. And uh, everyone can go over to the show notes to to check out Christine's work, and she's at christinecarlson.com. That's Christine with a K. And anything else you want to say that's sort of that you don't want to leave without saying that's sort of been kind of swirling around? I just want to say to everyone, you know, hang in there right now. Just hang in there. It's, it's all things will settle down. They, they always do. And everything new will emerge. And, you know, sometimes we just have to hang on for the ride and do our mm-hmm. own part, you know, do whatever that means to you to do your part. For me, it, it means to remain a calm and peaceful light for the world. And and that said, you know, I'm I'm also going to do my part to take some pretty strong actions when I know what actions there are to take. So, and then just take care of you and your family. Be well. And thank you, Andrea, for your wonderful work. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure and my calling, actually. So thank you so much, everyone, for being here. I am so grateful for your time. I know how valuable it is and am grateful that you choose to spend it with me and my guests. And until next time, everybody, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hi there. Swinging back by to say one more thing. You know how I'm always giving advice over here on the show and on social media, and a couple of those things is that I'm always telling you to ask for what you want, be clear about it, and also ask for help. So I am taking a dose of my own medicine, and I'm going to do that right now. It would be the absolute best and mean the world to me if you reviewed and subscribed to this show, Make Some Noise Podcast, on whatever podcast platform of your choice. And even more importantly, it would matter so much if you shared this show. Sharing the show is one of the few ways the podcast can grow, and that also gives more women an opportunity to make some noise in their lives. You can do that by taking a screenshot when you're listening on your phone and sharing it in your Instagram or Facebook stories. If you're on Instagram, you can tag me at HeyAndreaOwen, and I try my best to always re-share those and give you a quick thank you DM. And also, you can tell your friends and family about it. Tell them what you learned. Tell them a really awesome guest that you found on the show that you started following. Whatever it is, I appreciate so much you sharing about this show. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 